You can create nearly perfectly executed music in this world as long as you're not an original. If you're an original, you've got other things on your plate. I have some original thoughts on this topic, but first this. Hi, it's Peter Saltzman. You're listening to Improvisations on the Ledge. If you're enjoying this podcast with its unique blend of piano and verbal improvisation, please subscribe, give it five stars, and write a verbose review with lots of big words. On to the show. There are really two kinds of musicians, maybe three. There are musicians who seemingly are born with their own style. Well, not born so much because that would assume that you came out of the womb ready to play with a fully formed musical personality or style. But there are those, let's say, when they start making music, in a meaningful way, their musical personality is already there, even if most people wouldn't be able to see it, including that individual. They have the ability innately, I would say, or accidentally, genetically, to create something that doesn't sound exactly like everybody else. That sounds, at least incipiently, like themselves. And the older they get... The more mature they are, the more control and technique they have in making music, the more defined and identifiable that style becomes. And then there are those who basically learn what those other people do, meaning the ones who have a style. There are those who essentially use that style, kind of take on that personality of other of innovators. Not everybody is going to be a musical innovator. If they were, the world would probably be even messier than it is. And then there's people somewhat in between who basically work in the musical languages of their forebears, but add something to it, maybe a little twist, maybe a big twist. If it's a big enough twist, they have their own very personal style. Now, you might be wondering where I fit in this spectrum. I can tell you with 100% certainty that I was one of those people born with their own musical style. I couldn't help it. I didn't want this. In fact, if I had a choice, I would have been like everybody else. That's not how I was made. From the time I started creating my own music, really in my early teens, I had a particular way of doing it that in essence is no different than what I'm doing now. 
What I'm doing now is just a more refined, technically accurate, better, more secure, mature version of it. But I can look back on tunes, compositions I wrote when I was 17, and they were in my voice. Now, how is this possible? Why does it happen? I don't know. I do know. One thing I know is that the second group I was talking about, people who just basically build their musical careers on what others have done, is their mental process is that they will hear this great music. Say you're a jazz pianist and you've heard Bill Evans or Herbie Hancock or Keith Jarrett, Chick Corea. And if you don't have a defined, clear musical path of your own, you will tend to spend your life trying to perfect what, say, Bill Evans, Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, Keith Jarrett did, which is fine. But let's be clear, it's not a personal style. It's a desire to clean up in a way, perfect what somebody else did that was a personal style. What's interesting to me is this happens in any genre. And you have, say, for example, a composer musician like Carl Czerny, uh, who was alive during uh, Beethoven and Mozart's time. And I think he was uh, one of Beethoven's teachers, in fact. Or no, it was the other way around. Beethoven was his teacher. That's what I'm going to go with. We'll have our uh, fact department check that. Now, this guy, Cherny, it's spelled C-Z-E-R-N-Y, wrote all these exercise books, the most famous being The School of Velocity. I guess the purpose of that is to teach you how to play fast, which we all want to do. Let's face it. It's kind of a way of avoiding actual musical ideas, which is what Cherny essentially did. He took the language of Beethoven, of Mozart, Haydn, whoever, and formalized it into a series of pianistic exercises, and there are thousands of them, and there are people still today, classical pianists, who practice them assiduously because they give the illusion, I would say, of perfection. By doing these hundreds and thousands of exercises, I will perfect my technique so I can play the Beethoven concertos, the 
Brahms, the list, whatever. And in doing that, I will play them better than Beethoven because I now have, after the fact, a school, a school of velocity in this case, that will make me perfect, make me impermeable, flawless, so that I don't have to do anything but repeat what somebody else did. Now, there is a place for this. There's a place for everything, I guess, if you believe uh, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, or whoever wrote that. There's a time for originality, a time for copying, a time for brilliance, a time for really great technique, a time for creativity, a time for whatever the opposite of that is. What's the opposite of creativity? Repeat ability? I don't know. My point is that at some point in your early life, you will know which role you're going to be playing in this ecclesiastical nightmare we call life on earth. That was extreme. I'm reminded of that song from the 60s. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time for every purpose under heaven. Who was that by? The Mamas and Papas? Peter, Paul, and Mary. Once again, we'll have our fact department check that out and get back to you. So this is not my way of diminishing those who are copiers or who are just perfecting what others before them have done. It's more about distinguishing between these two musical personality traits. And I said that sometime fairly early in your life, you will know if you're going to be one of the people making something new. But I also said it's not like a cut-and-dried proposition to do that. For one, you have to learn the technique of making music. And to do that, you will inevitably both be inspired by your musical forebears and rely on the techniques that they have developed, both the technique of, say, playing an instrument, but also compositional techniques, songwriting techniques, how things are put together. And in doing that, you're going to, particularly when you're younger, take what your heroes have given you and try to master it, all the while realizing somewhere deep down or not so deep down that this is their thing. This is not me, but I need this to get to a better version of me. So, for instance, in my case, I had a ton of influences, people who inspired me in the classical realm, the jazz realm, and the pop realm, and there was a part of me that was trying to sound like them, but I failed. And the reason I failed to sound like them is because I had an inner voice that was telling me not to sound like them, to to find who I was, and to use what they gave me to build my own thing. For example, I said for example twice, so this is a parenthetical, for example, within a larger example. McCoy Tyner was one of my jazz piano heroes, right? And still is. Absolutely adore the man's style. 
and everything about it. His sense of presence, his beautiful mix of advanced techniques with a bluesy feel. So, like a lot of pianists of my age, growing up listening to McCoy playing in the Coltrane Quartet, and then after that, I tried to adapt some of his techniques. So, for example, and this is a further parenthetical within that larger example, so we're now three parentheses in, if you're doing the math at home. For example, McCoy used uses a lot of what's called pentatonic scales. These are five-note scales. If you're scoring at home, and if you happen to have a piano in front of you, or even a cheesy keyboard, you could start on G-flat and play all the black keys. That's a what's called a major pentatonic, and here's the minor, basic minor pentatonic, starting, again, only the black keys, uh, E-flat. And the pentatonic scales are common to every musical culture throughout the world for reasons having to do with acoustics and that kind of stuff, which are beyond the purview of this particular show. But you hear the pentatonics in a lot among, say, rock and roll guitar players who... The pentatonic scale is the basis of the blues. The blues adds one note to this minor pentatonic. Instead of that, we have a note in between the third and fourth. So pentatonics are big everywhere, but McCoy had a particular way of using them, going through multiple different pentatonic scales over one chord. So, for example... So there in my right hand, I'm playing a C minor pentatonic. And that's nothing but pentatonic, but McCoy would interpolate other pentatonics using common tones and other things that if you're uh, not a musician, you're just going to say, what the F is he talking about? Well, sorry, I am just going to do this. So here's the simple pentatonic. Here's McCoy, uh, me being McCoy, adding another pentatonic within that. Okay, so that's sort of McCoy-esque, but the funny thing is I did build several of my own um, musical stylistic parameters, things that I can identify or other people if they bothered, and almost nobody does, uh, as this is Peter Saltzman. So I built things on what McCoy did and then added my own to the point where sometimes I'm not really sure where he ends and I start. As I was playing that little riff thing there, I I realized these are some things that I developed that aren't from McCoy, but I took what he taught me, take things, and then develop them further. Now, that that begs the question, what part is McCoy? What is Peter Saltzman? I know intuitively, but there are times where I feel like I'm kind of fighting him off, okay? It's like, McCoy, get out of my head. 
And I have to reassert myself in that argument between me and the virtual McCoy going on in my head. So let's let's explore that again musically. So at some point in that little improvisation, I left McCoy behind and became almost completely Peter Saltzman. I can identify it myself by what I was doing in my left hand. In the lower register there, I started playing this kind of counterpoint to what I did in the right, which is not something that is heavily in McCoy's style. It's just something I developed. Let's go further with that and play a McCoy tune, McCoy Tyner tune called Search for Peace. Okay, so that's the A section of Search for Peace by McCoy Tyner. That's on an album called The Real McCoy, which is easily one of my favorite jazz albums of all time. Maybe if I had to pick one that's by a pianist, features pianist, and it's under his name, I would say that's it. It's a masterpiece. And his performance on Search for Peace, a ballad, McCoy's playing on that is so exquisite that it's just like, how does this happen? I listen to it now after having heard it for 40 plus years or so. My reaction is the same and then more. How did he do this? The playing is so beautiful without guile, without attitude, without trying to show off. It's just purely musical. It's a work of art on the highest level. So for me to play that tune, there's a part of me that's saying, you are not worthy, young Peter. But I love the tune. I play it to honor McCoy because I love him so much. But also, a less, shall we say, noble reason, meaning in some ways I want to challenge him. And so I do that by saying, okay, this is McCoy. How do I make this Peter? And in essence, 
deny McCoy. I have to obliterate him in a certain way. That's not very nice, is it? You know, that's an interesting thing about musical style. It does require that you say no to your heroes. As you're writing, composing, or playing something, there comes a point where you realize, as I talked about this argument going on in your head, that this is McCoy Tyner, or this is Beethoven, or Bach, and you say, well, okay, screw them. This is me. So when I play that tune, Search for Peace, I have to figure out, I have to eliminate parts of it that are too much just copying the master and insert myself into the equation. (laughs) In other words, it's less a search for peace as it is a search for identity. And a big part of that search is really a process of elimination. Eliminate that which isn't you. So again...
So the more I played it, the more I left my hero behind and asserted myself into the picture. And it has nothing in the end to do with, well, McCoy's version of that on The Real McCoy is so perfect that why bother? It's not about that. That version is the perfect representation of McCoy Tyner. If I tried to copy it, transcribe the solo, play like him, I may get to the point where I'm a more technically perfect McCoy Tyner, though that's hard to imagine. But the point is to find something within the framework of his song that is me, my style. And one of the great things about playing songs, compositions by other composers for me is there's a way of finding a balance between respecting the composition and breaking out of it. You tie yourself to another era, root yourself in it while simultaneously leaving it behind. So that right there may be the definition of a personal musical style. It's not like you just come up with something entirely out of the blue that has no roots, no history behind it. It's that you build on that, adding your touch, adding your personality, transforming it so it becomes something else. Either that or you perfect what other people have done already. I can't even perfect what I've done.
Hey, it's me, Peter Saltzman, again. I mean, who else? Stay tuned for the next episode of Improvisations on the Ledge, which you'll be gently notified about if you subscribe. And if you love the music, you can hear a ton more on my Bandcamp page, petersaltzman.bandcamp.com, where you can also subscribe and get access to exclusive content, including all the music from these podcasts, not to mention all the non-piano music, like my one-minute songs. And if you want to support my work directly, please check out my newly launched Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash petersaltzman. Finally, be sure to check out my main website, petersaltzman.com, for all the latest. But don't worry, all of these links are in the notes below. Thanks for listening. <laughs>